Shooting Broadcast, a fascinating round in three, two, one. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fascinating Nouns. Now, if you are listening to this transmission, we are still the galaxy's most trusted source for incredible people, places, things, and ideas. Now, together we arrive at this curious nexus point, and we will explore the strange, unusual, offbeat, bizarre, intriguing, interesting, invigorating, quirky, quaint, quizzical, weird, wild, wacky, the fun, the frivolous, and the fringe, plus all the spaces in between. I am your host, Daniel J. Glenn. Hello, Fascination. Welcome to the show. Today is a very special episode uh, for several reasons. It's a little bittersweet as well, but um, on one hand, this is kind of the quasi-fifth anniversary of the show in a way. Not exactly to the date because the early on episodes weren't as regimented and scheduled as the later ones. Um, But more importantly, today, March 5th, 2018 is the anniversary of the passing of one of my favorite guests, uh, very important to the show as well, uh, a man named William Moody. Now, my guess is that that's not going to ring any alarm bells. Most people aren't going to know him by that name. And as a matter of fact, I didn't know him by that name until much later. Uh, but you might have heard of this stage name, Paul Bearer. He was a very popular manager in the 90s and uh, WWF at the time, and then WWE. Uh, he was the Undertaker's manager, and then Kane, and Vader, and Mankind, and had a very important run, very quintessential character for the wrestling world, and for the most of my adult life, and all of my child life, uh, wrestling was very important to me, arguably the most important thing. Uh, and I don't admit this very often, but it was my first love, genuinely, as cliche as that sounds and as corny as that sounds, uh, I fell in love with wrestling at an early age and uh, never quite let go of me. And I spent most of my college years chasing the dream of working for the company. And I did briefly work for WWE, so I, I achieved that aspect of the dream. But as I came out here and I started this show, I... Uh, Wanted to find some good guests. There was a local show here, um, and Paul Bear, who had long since kind of walked out of the WWE spotlight, was doing a lot of independent shows. And he was um, nice enough to grant me an interview. Uh, technically, he was the first actual produced guest on the show. Now, if you look down the list chronologically, you'll see that a man named Dr. Barry Taff was the first episode. But in fact... I had interviewed Dr. Taft for a different project, a TV project I was doing at the time. And after the interview, I'd kind of been just fascinated with with Dr. Taft, and I decided to repurpose the interview. It was actually shot on a camcorder that I had at the time on mini-DV tape, believe it or not. And I took that mini-DV tape, and I transferred it and kind of repurposed the audio interview into the first podcast. So that's how the show actually started. But as I realized that I wanted to have guests on the show and talk to people and things that I found interesting, the foundation of the show, I reached out to people and I kind of just went as far as I could. And I remember seeing uh, William Moody, a.k.a. Paul Bear, a.k.a. Percy Pringle III on a local local, uh, television show, um, wrestling show, and I reached out and he said yes. I mean, it was that simple and that easy, but I don't think he even knew at the time 
how important that was for me and how how generous he actually was because he kind of did the show sight unseen. I don't think he listened to the previous show, didn't ask me a lot of questions, just just agreed to do it. And that is not something that you get very often, uh, people of his level just kind of agreeing to do it. Not really sure what the questions were, not really sure what I was up to, um, and he did it anyway. <laughs> Uh, so he was the first guest, first produced guest on the show. And so we're going to get to that in a second. So what you're going to hear is a show that I did with him. I actually did two hours with him. Uh, one, uh, if you go back and listen, you'll hear the first part of this is I talked to him for an hour about being an actual, well, let me back up a second. So the, his character, if you're unfamiliar, was he played what is essentially, um, a kind of deranged funeral funeral director for a quasi uh, undead undertaker, um, the guy who couldn't be defeated, who couldn't be killed. And it turns out that in real life, William Moody was a funeral director, a real licensed funeral director, which I just found absolutely fascinating. And so we talked for an hour about... Um, about funeral directing and what it's like to be a funeral director, which is, for anyone listening anyone who knows him, for me to spend an hour talking to a professional wrestling legend about being a funeral director seems kind of crazy, but uh, it, to me it, didn't, it made perfect sense. But I didn't let him get away without talking to me for an hour about pro wrestling behind the scenes, all the stuff that I wanted people to know, why I love pro wrestling, which is so hard to explain to people who don't understand it. If you don't understand pro wrestling, uh, it's difficult to make you understand why why it's so cool in a way. Um, but that's what I wanted to talk to him about because basically those were his two loves. And, you know, I was going to him because it was my first love. So I talked to him for about 45 minutes about pro wrestling. And here's what I remember. So I haven't listened to the interview yet. I thought that that would kind of taint this introduction. Uh, I didn't want to suddenly back out because I thought I sounded terrible. And I will let you know that secretly, you know, whenever you have a radio announcer who kind of digs into the vault for an old episode, you're used to their deep, silky, smooth voice. And then you listen to their college years and they sound like all falsetto and <laughs> prepubescent. And I kind of secretly hope that that happens. But my guess is it's going to sound pretty similar, except that I think I'm a little bit better at interviewing now. So that the questions that I asked him then uh, probably would be different now, and maybe they came from a different place. Uh, but I had this idea in my head at the time, and this is a little bit of the immaturity, that I would interview him about two different things in about his an hour on uh, his funeral directing, and then I would take him for another hour and talk to him about pro wrestling. And I didn't have the concept that I could, if I was good enough, kind of interweave the two and create a more complex person that we could talk to. So I bothered him for uh, almost two hours. And so uh, what I remember about this one is that uh, he was a little annoyed at the end um, because I probably did not present it accurately. I think I did actually present it accurately, but I think he was getting ready to go on. But nonetheless, he soldiered on. He toughed out my questions, put up with my nonsense, um, and he it was just a good sport all around. And uh, that is kind of what I remember. And I remember him being very protective. You know, pro wrestling, the backstage stuff, people are still very protective of it. I know now 
it's out a little bit more. It's a little more sports entertainment and the whole idea of, you know, what is choreographed and what is staged and what isn't and what's real is, is kind of a blurred line, but people understand that there's a little bit of scripting that goes on, uh, if not a lot of scripting. And I think when I was talking to him, he still had that old school mentality be very protective of the business, despite the fact that he knew I worked in pro wrestling, despite the fact that we, um, that I was a fan of of it, uh, and despite the fact that we were actually interviewing him backstage at a wrestling show, he was still protective of it, very old school in that respect. That's, that's what I remember. So that's, you know, that's what I remember about the interview itself, despite the fact that I didn't have any other guests on the show. And even though this was very early on in the Fascinating Nouns career, and I have been lucky enough to have some incredible guests on the show, some of my idols, um, and and just some fascinating, profoundly important people on the show. This one has always held a place in my heart, arguably one of the most, I guess, the biggest celebrity I've had on the show as far as, you know, wide appeal. The show isn't really a celebrity show as far as that goes. But, you know, Paul Bear kind of fits the bill of being um, a celebrity. You know, he didn't have to do the show. Um, he didn't have to engage with me. He didn't have to acknowledge me. He didn't have to be as kind and as generous as he was. He really didn't. And, you know, I, obviously it's a little late now, but I, I can't thank him enough for the generosity with his time and the advice that he gave and the, the things that he talked to me about, his, his willingness to open up and his unbelievable kindness to someone who was just starting out doing something that um, they loved and he shared his time. Uh, and, you know, he didn't have a lot of it at the time. I didn't realize that because he passed away less than a month later. So what you're hearing is actually literally the last interview that he ever did. It, it meant a lot to me, and it still means a lot to me, and I wanted to honor him on this fifth anniversary by dedicating this episode to him. So I hope that you enjoy this, although I doubt it, but I do hope that you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed the pleasure of his company. Thank you. Maybe it's late. <laughs> well, let's, uh, hopefully you'll stay awake for the questions. Um, all right, here we go. <clears throat> Uh, Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fascinating Nouns, the place for incredible people, places, things, and ideas. And in front of me, I've got a guy who's been with me since childhood, though he doesn't know it. Self-described adjective. This is Percy Pringle III. You know him better as Paul Bear. And this time, we're going to talk wrestling, which is something he and I both know a lot about. And the good news is, for those at home, is we are actually here while a live wrestling event is being taped. So you will hear lots of things in the background. Uh, we're going to pretend it's for ambiance. It's actually not something. <laughs> there we go. Like that right there. Like that right there. Not uh, not ideal, but it's um, only going to get louder. I promise you. I think it'll be fun for atmosphere. Got to take it where you can get it, Mr. Pringle. Uh, but welcome back to the program. My pleasure. Um, so, for, well, since this is up, I'll I'll promote the uh, the the television show Championship Wrestling from Hollywood. You can catch it online. Uh, you are Percy Pringle the Third here, so that people do not get confused. Um, and your website is percypringle.com. Great site for people who are into wrestling. And this will be a wrestling-focused interview. We're going to try to do wrestling for dummies for those of you, even if you're not interested in the business. I think uh, the passion that both Mr. Pringle and I have will get you involved. It's a, it's a great industry. There's nothing like it on the face of the earth. 
Um, question. Oh, <laughs> Thank God for that. <laughs> uh, who does all the caricatures on your website? They're adorable. Is that? Uh, do you do those? Do you have a guy who does no. that? I have a dear friend that works for Disney. Yeah. And uh, he does all the work. They're great. They're he, really he cool. He works for Disney. He's, uh, it's what he's done for years and years. Is uh, he's an artist, obviously. Yeah. But uh, he he uh, he does all that. His name's Kurt Nielsen. Kurt Nielsen, uh, your webmaster. Mm-hmm. Now look at that. See, I know what's going on. Um, and you are from, just to repeat, you are from Mobile, Alabama. Is that yes, correct? Yes, sir. The heart of Dixie. How do you feel about the South Miami? God's country. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Roll Tide. <laughs> you ever heard of our football team, I guess? Yeah. Didn't they uh, win the national championship? Yeah, maybe this time. I think. Maybe uh, we want to do four. Four out of five years? Mm-hmm. Is that what we're at? You never know. <laughs> um... So let's talk about your love and my love. We share a love. Um, what was po- her name? The polygamist uh, Percy Pringle the third. Uh, the wrestling business. How did you get involved in this thing? When I was a kid, I just uh, I love wrestling. With an R, R A. With an R. Wrestling. Wrestling. What about it spoke to you? Because one thing that I, I feel like is people either get it or they don't get it. Exactly. And what what made you what made you get it? Why did you? Uh, I don't know. I just know that after my, I was taken to my first wrestling show, I was hooked. How old were and, you? Uh, truthfully, my first wrestling show, I wasn't but three or four years old. But uh, I remember where I reached an age where I knew what was going on. I guess I was about nine or ten years old. And uh, it, it just all came back. It was one of those meant to be things like we had talked about earlier mm. when we were didn't talking about funeral service. I uh, would would cut the neighbor's yard, you know, to get my five six dollars to buy my ticket to go to wrestling every week. And, and <laughs> I, I think I went seven years seven years sitting on the front row and never missed a wrestling show. No kidding. It's meant to be. So how did you? So you, when you broke in, is um, how did you get your foot? I mean, we're gonna talk a little bit on why wrestling is so inclusive. But how did you? How did you break in? I mean, and it, we'll just use that as you know, as, yeah, a, as a given. Yeah, I, I started out, and in, in those days, wrestling was much, much different than it was today. It is today, because we didn't have uh, cable television, mm-hmm. you know, and there wasn't any internet or anything like that. So it, it was uh, uh, a different. Different, different business. The, the country was divided up into to different territories, and uh, by territories, I mean businesses. You know, each part of the country was promoted by a different promoter. You know, depending on the size of like Texas, was promoted. You know, by the Von Erich family, by the Von Erichs. And uh, I grew up in Mobile, Alabama, and it was called Gulf Coast Wrestling. Anyway, I started uh, putting up rings and helping around the building, sweeping up after the wrestling shows, and then I discovered photography mm. was a hobby of mine, and while I was sitting front row, I'd snap pictures, and fortunately, I got pretty good at it, and they, they wanted to know if they could start using some of my pictures in the newspaper and magazines and this and that and the other, and that's how I got in the business, was through photography. No kidding. So they liked what you did. Yeah, and I'm not the only one like that. Uh, I'm sure if you're if you're a wrestling fan, you probably heard of Jim Cornette. I have heard of Jim Cornette. Uh, we're so much alike. It's scary. He, he started the same way, sitting on the front row in Louisville, Kentucky, taking pictures. I did not know that. Is that yes, right? Yes, he did. Hmm. And uh, we started in the business just 
exactly the same? So back then, it's a little different now, but just so I can kind of bring it to the audience, the territories were basically set up, each each part of the country had their own little group. So most people are familiar with WWE, a smaller percentage with TNA, both who have television audiences. So at the time, it was basically like a, all of your action took place within that territory. There wasn't any inter... So as far as the world champion went, the only world champion that was acknowledged was inside those territories, correct? Right. There was a... Uh there was a, a national uh, company, and, and the biggest one, in fact, there's three or four. The biggest one was the National Wrestling Alliance, the mm -hmm. NWA. Mm -hmm. And uh, the most noted champion that most folks today will remember would be Ric Flair. That's true. And uh, Ric Flair was basically, in, in, my, in my opinion, the, the last of the real world champions. Now, why do you say um, that? How do you define a real world champion? Well, that was back in the day when we didn't have cable and internet and all this and all that. And he traveled from town to town defending the, the championship, mm -hmm. the NWA world title, uh, at the, in, the, in the cities that belonged to the National Wrestling Alliance. And of course, I, I mentioned there was other companies. There was the AWA, the American Wrestling Alliance, and it was up, in, up north, uh, you know, Michigan and... Illinois and up to, up to that area, Minnesota, Minneapolis. In fact, their headquarters was in Minneapolis, and then of the Northeast uh, in in New York, the New York area, and up through there uh, was run by Vince McMahon Sr., your current v Vince McMahon to of today, mm -hmm. his dad, uh, and it was called the WWWF, the Worldwide Wrestling Federation. Mm. And then you had uh, California, of course. You never go, you never can leave California out. The home of roller derby, <laughs> you know, and, and roller derby and, and wrestling went hand in hand. You know, uh, I didn't know that. I've never done before. Some, uh, I mean, in my, you know, roller derby was just wrestling on skates. Well, just women wrestlers on skates. They still do it. You, you go, do you see? Yes, yeah. they still do it. Yeah, and they still do derby another, dolls. They still do it in other parts of the country. And, Huh. I have some friends that, that are involved, and I go to the, the derby matches every once in a while. Uh, so if we talk a little bit about the industry, I don't want to give too much away. There's a lot of insider secrets, but um, uh, one of my friends, he's actually he's a clown. He's worked in the circus, and I know that they have their own lingo when they describe certain things, and so does the wrestling business to kind of describe various things that are going on. Mm -hmm. um, can we talk about some of the lingo that we can go over? It's basically the same thing as the circus because professional wrestling started in the circus years and years and years ago. You know, back in the 20s and 30s, uh, mm -hmm. they would set up a ring and, at these circuses and, and they would have a wrestler, which they called back in those days, they were called a shooter, which means he was a real wrestler. I mean, he could. So they'd put up a bounty to the local tough guys uh, from the city where the circus was at. And if you could beat this wrestler, you know, you, you, you won the money. And uh, very, very rarely was the ch the champion ever beat because they, they, <laughs> they, were, they were some tough, mean yeah, I imagine guys. so, yeah. <coughs> and, uh, and they didn't play nice. So wrestling started in the carnivals, hmm. you know, back in the day. And we had, a, a, there was a language used amongst uh, the in, in the industry, in the circus industry, in carnival, in wrestling. It was called carny of all things mm -hmm. so we had words that, that we would use and, and a lot of old timers 
today, the young kids today, they don't have a clue. Most of them. Mm -hmm. I apologize to you if, if you're one of them listening. <laughs> I mean, you do have a clue, but you don't. You don't. They don't use the language like we do. Right. I mean, we would use words to describe something. If we'd use them to use them today, they they just go what 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 you know. Right. They, they, but we had our own lingo uh, for different things, and uh, it's a heck of a history. Well, so let me, let me when I get to, you know, if you stop me if I if I tell anything uh, that I shouldn't, but um, I I won't answer if you if there's something I want to talk about. Okay, so. that's that's good. Dead <laughs> dead silence will be actually very amusing. Well, let's get the, the Hector Canal. Is just that's match number one. I'm number ten. I have I'm nine more to go. Okay. For those of you keeping track at home, we got nine matches. <laughs> <laughs> um, so one of the things that uh, always bothered me as, as growing up a wrestling fan um, is when I learned that wrestling was um, it was not a competition based on the skill of one's wrestling, but it was a show that was put on. And Vince McMahon kind of outed it when he called it sports entertainment back in the 90s and there's a term that uh, I've heard you use before and I know it's like the, the big term that kind of represents the reality of the wrestling versus the reality that exists uh, and you call it kayfabe but I think it's a uh, kayfab I, I don't know I don't know how to pronounce it I'm I'm the worst pronounced in the world um, you said it right the first time kayfabe mm -hmm. that's like that so one of the things, and I'm curious how you, what your take is, when, when that was alive and strong in the 70s and 80s, I mean, I grew up with a stepdad who was really into the reality of wrestling. How do you think that the, the industry's changed? It's become very more inside, you know, people know what's going on, and it's a new, it's a new type of fan, because I was a fan then, and now I'm a totally different type of fan mm -hmm. now. What, what do, you, do you think one's better for the industry, one's not? I mean, you Well, know. wrestling got so big, uh, you have to realize the reason why it happened. Uh, most, almost all the states had a boxing and wrestling commission, and they received a percentage of the gate. Hmm. So when when Vince hit it, boy, he hit it big, and he was filling out filling up all those buildings up in the Northeast. You know, the, the whole fifteen, twenty thousand yeah. people. No kidding. You know, including Madison Square Gardens and, and blah 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 blah. But anyway. In order to to keep from paying all that all those taxes to the state, you know, he just said we're we're entertainment, we're sports entertainment. We're you know, it's not a real we're not we're not a real show. Uh, the circus don't pay the two percent, mm. carnivals don't pay the two percent. Why should we pay it? And I'm just saying two percent out out of using a ballpark figure. Mm. It was a lot, lot more than that. Right. It could have been anywhere from ten to twenty percent of the gate. And when you're talking about you know seven hundred thousand dollar gates, that's a lot of money. Yeah. So through the years, Mr. McMahon has saved millions and millions of dollars by saying that we're sports entertainment instead of professional wrestling. So before that, so you guys were paying that fee on mm -hmm. when you would go absolutely. Through. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, every, all the wrestlers had to be licensed by the state. Uh, you had to buy the license, of course. It's like you buy a driver's license. Yeah. And then they tax the, the show. And so they would walk away from there with a, a nice hunk of change beca yeah. because of what we do. Well, I imagine there might have been some tricky things because you couldn't, you couldn't um, you know, have a known outcome to a boxing match. I mean, that was called fixing a match. You know what I mean? So I imagine there must have been something with the wrestling board where you would could legally put on the show you wanted to put on, 
without having to you know run into the legal ramifications of knowing the ending is that right I mean we were were and are still very professional yeah and uh, we we the 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 word kayfabe the corny word kayfabe is uh the actual meaning of it is is a secret keeping mm. a secret and we were very very good at, at keeping the secrets of our industry and uh so is boxing. <laughs> yeah. and so, no, I'm sure that, yeah. And so is MMA. Right, right. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's entertainment. So so that secret, not every obviously because it's an inside secret, not everyone's allowed to be let into that. Mm -hmm. And so you used photography uh, to kind of get backstage. Who gave you your first your first, you know, foot in the door. I mean, obviously, that's that's that jumping from fan just to just local, just the the local guys that were from my hometown that I got to know real well and everything. Uh, I started training, working out with them, and training with them, and and I guess they saw that I had some kind of entertainment value in me, and hmm. and uh, I had my first professional match, and so the rest is history. And you were in the Air Force at this time. Thank you for serving, by the way. Yes, I went right out of high school, right into the Air Force uh, during Vietnam, the last years of Vietnam. Wow. From 72 to 76. And you worked, you were both going to school for mortuary science and working on your professional wrestling career at the same time while in the Air Force, correct? Absolutely. How did you juggle all that? I what stayed is pretty busy. Yeah. <laughs> Kept me out of trouble, that's for sure, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so how did that work? How did you, I mean, how could you have possibly juggled well, I had nights where I had to go to school, and I had nights where I went to wrestling, and I had night, you know. It just, uh, I was young back then, and so I could, you know, it, wor <laughs> it, wor it, wor it, wor it worked very well. That's good. <laughs> I don't know if I could do it again, especially these days and times. Yeah. Um, so, in the old days, when you were there, um, you know, what, what one thing that I find interesting about championship wrestling from Hollywood is that there isn't, like, a fence around the audience. And, you know, like we talked before, some of the audiences are a little bit smarter. They understand the lines between I'm watching a show, not get involved. Mm -hmm. But there must have been times when there wasn't security or and, and you routinely played one of the bad guys during your tenure. So how did you? You had to watch for, watch out for each. We had to watch out for each other all, all the time. I, I, I lost count of the t times that I'd been attacked by fans. No kidding. In, oh, yes. Coming out of the audience with. Yeah, from with knives and guns and sticks. No, with oh, knife, really? Oh, absolutely. Oh my God. And uh, thank thank goodness for the the barricades and the security and everything that finally came along. Did you ever have any really bad run-ins? Uh, what was yeah. the worst you could think of that you got away from? You know, getting hit get hit over the head with a with a with a stick. Open your open your you know, by stick. I mean, like a walking cane. Okay. And being an old man, eighty years old, sitting front row, you think you wouldn't hurt anybody. <laughs> Next thing you know, whack! <laughs> Off to the mercy room for some stitches. <laughs> oh my God, that's insane. Um, so early on, you went from wrestler to manager. Mm -hmm. um, why that switch? What? Um, you, how did you make that? I uh, had an old-timer. In fact, he was a big name in California for years and years. Uh, a lot of folks probably remember Freddie Blassie. He was a big name mm -hmm. in California for years. There was another gentleman by the name of the great Mephisto. Mm. Uh, he was wrestling in my part of the country back in those days, and, and he had watched some of my matches, and 
he, he had asked me one night when I came back from, from a match if I'd ever thought about being a manager uh, with my facial expressions and, and no, because everybody wants to be a wrestler. Nobody, you know, you don't think about being a manager. And he says, I'll tell you what, won't you go out to the ring with these guys? A couple, there's a couple of Samoan guys. Hmm. He said, won't you go out to the ring with these guys and, uh, and uh, let's see, you know, how you do it managing. I went out there with him and it was just a natural. It was one of those meant to be things. And thank goodness I didn't have to take those falls anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs> just old men with canes yeah, over the head. Right. That's it. I could, I could just be a, a manager. And, and I've said this word probably a thousand times talking to you. It was meant to be. Yeah. So I was I was meant to be a manager. And and Lord have mercy, how many years has it been now? <laughs> Two, you, it's 2013. It is. You've had a, you know, you've had a all the big par parts in your life, they all seem meant to be. I mean, you've had, uh, it's been, everything's just worked out. I mean, it's... I've been, I've been very, very blessed. So, Percy Pringle, where does that come from? It came from the same guy, the great Mephisto, that, uh, that suggested that I try managing. So, why that name? I don't know, it was his idea. He just he said... Says, well, he said, won't you try the using the name Percy Pringle? It always, uh... It elicited what we call in wrestling heat. Mm -hmm. By what that means is, is the fans getting mad at the good, at the bad guys, you know. Because it was Percy. Because it, it was just the name Percy, you know. <laughs> Percy. Yeah. And, and it was just so easy to to uh, upset the fans with that name. Ah. And uh, that was and it stuck. Yeah, I imagine the th when you added the third, that probably helped that too. It, it just stuck, and my gosh, I don't even want to count the number of years. I became Percy Pringle in 1977, and here we are, 2013. Okay. We're right around 40 years, or right at it. Holy cow! And the third was added because um, because that was my idea. I want because I discovered that there were other two, there were two other Percy Pringles before me. Oh <laughs> yeah, to pay them homage or just to stand so, out? Just uh, well, there there was a big separation amongst the two. The first Percy Pringle was like thirty or forty years prior to me. Wow! And he only performed up in the uh, up north in Minnesota and around that area up there. And uh, the Percy Pringle number two I had met in Japan on my first uh, tour of Japan. He was from Vancouver, Washington. And uh, I found out that he had wrestled as, per as Percy Pringle, so I tacked the third on it, you know, just to give it a little legitimacy. That if anybody ever wanted to check, there was three Percy Pringles. <laughs> I didn't know that. And I was number three. And there's a bell, so that means the second match is over. <laughs> that is. We're going to get an announcement in a second. Um, so you're, you had a very distinct look back then. Um, were you a fan of Captain Kangaroo, or how come you look like? No, I was a fan of Bobby Heenan. Bobby Heenan. And I stole everything from Bobby. Really? <laughs> the outfits, the hair, the everything, Bobby Heenan. Did he get a, a cut of your paycheck when you no, signed that? <laughs> but we're very, very good friends. He's, 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 he's a great guy. He's, he's battled cancer for the last, gosh, six or seven years, and bless his heart, he's had some real tough times. Yeah, he has. But uh, he's been around a long time and certainly paid his dues. And he's a grandpa now too. Is he? Oh, mm -hmm. good for him. I've always liked Bobby Heenan. Yeah. I liked him when he was a, when he was the Weasley wrestler. I mean, seeing him do those. Yeah, he, he, 
he was one of the first, like almost an anti-wrestler, you know, like he was very, very counter to what you would root for, you know, um, even though he was, you know, played a heel very often. Um, so in the early part, there was, oh, that's match number two for those keeping at home. We got eight more to go. Um, so I was reading the story on your, on your, on your blog. It was fascinating. You went, one of your first matches, you actually were out there with Luthez. Is that correct? Absolutely. Do you mind running that, do you mind telling that story for the audience? Well, Luthez was certainly a, uh, an icon with our industry. Yeah. And, uh. Part of the, he was wrestling one of the guys I was managing, and there was one point where he was going to hit the ropes, and I was going to grab his foot when he hit the ropes. He hit, and first of all, I was just, my God, it's Luthez, you know. I was, <laughs> right, yeah. I want to get down on my knees and bow down to him. Yeah. I was scared to death. Uh, anyway, he hit the ropes. I went to grab his foot and missed him. He <laughs> took about two steps out, two steps out, and turned around and looked at me. He says, you stupid son of a bitch. If you need to bleep that out, you can <laughs> certainly bleep it out. But what's so ironic about that is that I don't, uh, we have a, uh, a club called the Cauliflower Alley Club that we have a, a reunion and banquet in Las Vegas every year. I was going to ask about that. What is that? In April of, of every year. It's kind of a fan convention, wrestling convention, and uh, they give out awards for different things. It's really ironic that this year, April 2013, that I'm going to be presented with the Luthez Lifetime Achievement Award. No, congratulations. After, How after, appropriate is that? <laughs> uh, and uh, believe you, me, when, I, when they present me that award, I'm going to have to tell that story <laughs> about my, my encounter with Luthez <laughs> and what he called me because I just knew that my, I'd, I'd never make it in the business now <laughs> right, after I mean, being called that by Luthez. That's the word. So here I am receiving the, the, the award with Luthez's name attached to it. He's, well, he's since passed away. He, d he probably passed away about 10 years ago. Yeah, he wouldn't have given you that award, I don't think. I think he would have uh, taken it yeah, if you would have questioned the, the jury. No, he, he probably would down. I had to refresh his memory <laughs> uh, about that particular incident once I got to know him and everything. Oh, so you, 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 talk, you talked about it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I had to. And uh, I, I, st I, I don't think he remembered it, but I certainly... Uh, told him the story. <laughs> you definitely me. remember yeah. it. I, and I'll never forget it. <laughs> it was just another day for him. Um, so uh, right at this time, you were really, um, you were kind of living a dual life. You were, um, you were also going to school to be a mortician, a uh, funeral director. I don't actually know the correct word. I don't want to. Both. Are they either. different? Are they? No, they're the all the same. Same thing. Um, and then, so you had, your son was born in 1979, and that was where you really decided to give mm -hmm. up one and pursue the other, correct? Mm -hmm. um, so what, um, what made you get back into wrestling after, you know, after you realized you needed a steady background? Well, I got my, my degree and uh, my licenses and, and uh, realized I, I, you know, I could go back to the film business at any time. So my first love was, you know, one of my first loves was wrestling. So we're back in the wrestling business, and then my my I had we had our second son uh, seven years later. And he he was born while I was in Dallas working with with the uh, Von Erichs with World Class Championship Wrestling, and he he was born in the, my my youngest son was born in the business. I mean, I was. Uh, he learned to walk in the wrestling ring, hold on to the rope, you know, <laughs> walking around the ring. Yeah. 
and uh, and now he wrestles. He's he wrestles down in those smaller groups down south. So uh, that pretty much was the reason. So in 1985, there, you, there's a story about how Michael P.S. Hayes got you back in the business. Fabulous Freebirds. Yeah, how did that work? We, me and Michael Hayes go way, way, way back. Uh, he's from Pensacola, Florida, and I'm from Mobile, Alabama. We're about 45 miles from each other. So we grew up watching the same wrestling you know, back in the territory days, going to the same matches and all that. We knew each other from, you know, sitting at ringside and setting up rings and this and that and the other. And uh, it turned out that we all, you know, we ended up getting in the business and we've stayed close friends all these years, still are. Michael Hayes still works for, for Vince McMahon to this very day. And, uh, and you guys had a bet on who'd get in the business first, right? Yeah. How did that work he out? He won. <laughs> How did he get in first? He had a referee shirt in the trunk, and I didn't. <laughs> Is that really it? The, yeah. They were looking for a referee. So they said, hey, who's got a anybody got a referee shirt? He said, I do. So that was his end. He got in because he had, had to have a referee a shirt in the trunk. His car. <laughs> did he pull you into the business, or did you uh, did he give you a hand, or no? No, we pretty much, you know. Same time. He was still breaking in. He was. St we were all learning at the same time, and, and, and everything. And then eventually, he met uh, Terry Gordy, and uh, Ro Buddy Roberts, and they became the Fabulous Freebirds. Mm -hmm. uh, Terry Gordy and Buddy Roberts has since passed away. Buddy just died about three months ago. Uh, dear, dear, good friends of mine. But Michael's still thriving, and. Uh, like I said, he still works for WWE. What's he doing for them now? He works in the creative end, end of it, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and writing and producing and this right. and that and the other. He wears a lot of hats. No kidding. So you guys must have been on the road a lot, in those, especially in those early days, oh, driving yeah. to territory to yeah. territory. But when you're young, it don't matter, especially if you're not married, you know, it, it don't matter. You're, you're on the road living the dream. Mm -hmm. So it, it didn't matter if we was gone two days or, or two weeks. So who was your favorite road companion? You guys spend a lot of time in the car. You got to find a guy that's not uh, gonna. Probably the Undertaker. Really? Yeah, because we spent a lot of time together uh, uh. through the years. Uh, but I've I've had a lot of I spent a lot of miles with Michael Hayes and Kane, of course. Mm-hmm. Most of the guys that I managed, you know, because we were going to the same places and stuff, and uh, I ended up usually being the driver. Oh, is that right? They yeah. Made well, they were the wrestlers, and they in the ring, you know, b you know bouncing off the, the floors and the ropes and the ring, and and I figured it was my duty, since I didn't have to do that, that I could at least drive <laughs> most of the time. Whose car did you take? It, it just depends. Depended. Yeah. I'd rather drive mine. No kidding. You wouldn't want to drive their cars? No. Especially Michael Hayes' car. This is a piece of junk. <laughs> Always? Buy, he'd, he'd buy these $200 junky cars, you know. If, it broke, if they broke down, he'd leave them on the side of the highway, and that's where they stayed. <laughs> is, is that true? Yeah, absolutely. And he'd go pick up another two or $300 car and drive it till it broke down. <laughs> Why did he do that? That was Michael Hayes. <laughs> he always did that? Always. That's insane. And now he's been work, work, you know, working for Vince for, my gosh, close to 20 years, and uh, he's uh, earned, earned his living. He does not have a $200 car anymore, though. No. Okay. No. Okay. I, I doubt. Well, knowing him, you never know. But <laughs> I, I don't think he does. 
<laughs> um, so there's this great story on uh, on the website about when you were in Japan and you were touring with a bunch of guys. Um, Andre the Giant was one of the guys you were there with, and you um, you had you had gotten late and you ordered breakfast. I don't want to kill the story, but do you uh, do you mind repassing yeah. now? It's a good uh, story. Well, the Japan tours we. Uh, we went from city, city to city on a bus, tour buses, and I was running late one morning. And you try to g get breakfast in the hotel at the, at the ho you know, at the hotel restaurant you're staying at. And when I walked in, Andre the Giant was the last one in there, and he was just finishing breakfast. So, and I didn't speak Japanese, of course. Well, we just got by the best we could. And I just told the waitress that I wanted, you know, pointed at Andre's plate. He had cleaned his plate off, and I saw the eggs and the bacon there. I said, same, same. You know, I wanted the same <laughs> thing he had. Yeah. Well, here, here she come out with about three plates of eggs and bacon <laughs> and stuff. Uh, Andre was not a small man. <laughs> no, he was not. And he could drink and he could eat, and I couldn't. <laughs> what was he like as a person? He always seemed like his oh, he's personal. Wonderful. Was he? He seemed like a good guy. Wonderful guy. He loved to play cards. He liked to stay in the dressing room and play, sit and play cards until it was his time to go do his match and uh, go do his match and come back and play some more cards. You know, that's an, I didn't think about that. What did you guys do to like uh, pass the time? I mean, I assume cards was one of them. Did you guys, was there anyone like have your obsessions with like playing Scrabble or like playing poker or? Yeah. And, Amongst the, the older guys, they played a lot of cribbage. I never got into cribbage. Oh, that's some Minnesota that, stuff. That's the note, some, you know, but they played a lot of a lot of cribbage and stuff. But uh, what'd you play? What'd you get into? I I, I never played. Really? I, I just caused trouble. <laughs> you didn't do anything? No, I just caused trouble playing ribs on guys. You know. Yeah. Was there a lot of pranks? Like no. The, oh and, gosh. What'd you guys do? <laughs> Everything. <laughs> From setting each other's clothes on fire to <laughs> pouring hot sauce in their food, your food or drinks, or we, we we would nothing was sacred. You set a guy's clothes on fire? Oh yeah. How how did that come about? Just throw a bag in in the, in the shower and pour a lot of fluid on it and start a match. And <laughs> just light it up. Yeah. It was fine. Yeah, it was great, especially when they came back and saw their bag on fire, you know, <laughs> that, was, that was wonderful. <laughs> so did you ever, I imagine people came after you then. When did you, you got no, a target on your I back? I never got caught. Is that right? <laughs> really? I was the last one that they would think would do that. So who got the, well, someone must have been blamed. So, yeah. Who'd you, who'd you scapegoat? I didn't scapegoat nobody, but some of them were, were very well known. We used to call them ribs. Yeah. Very well known ribbers, you know, in our business. and. and Mr. Fuji was was one was the <laughs> most, never, out, most outstanding, and then the two top of all was uh, Davy Boy Smith and Owen Hart. Is that right? My Lord. And Mr. Fuji, I never would have thought those would have been always there. pulling tricks on, on somebody <laughs> about doing something. I'm <laughs> putting live pigs in Vince McMahon's office. <laughs> to, uh, to, oh, it's just endless, and we just don't have time. To, to discuss it. <laughs> that's that's amazing. Um, so when you finally made it to the WWE, you became Paul Bear, the magical conversation with Vince McMahon uh, that kind of lined up your career. I think the pot leaks looks like Scorpio Sky's coming out. That's match number three. Um, three my ass, about five. Is it? Well, <laughs> I'll have people call in. Um, so the... Uh, when the po extreme popularity of the Undertaker, both you and the Undertaker, um, kind of spawned a lot of um, 
you know, offshoots and, and um, what do you want to say, uh, carbon copies, I guess. Um, how did you feel about those guys? Like James Mitchell had a, had a, had a, had a gimmick similar um, where he kind of wrestled the dark side guys. And did, yeah, it, did it bother you at all? No. He, he was a, a good friend, and I never considered it anywhere near what I did. Hmm. It was totally different. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he was uh, the, the played the, the devil and all that. I, I never touched the occult or demonism or anything like that. Well, I guess he was a little different, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah I guess that's true. It was totally different. Well, I'm going to tell you about a story that really affected... <laughs> I'm getting a live preview here of the show. There's, uh, I want to tell you about this story. This affected you. You were a big part of of, a, of an incident that profoundly affected my life, Mr. Bear. Um, in 1991, you had a, a television show we talked about earlier called The Funeral Parlor. Mm -hmm. And at this time, The Undertaker was currently involved in a feud with The Ultimate Warrior. Mm -hmm. And this was in maybe April or something. And I remember I was just a, a wee little tyke, and I was watching the show completely b buying into the reality of the situation. And I don't know if you remember this episode. I do. do but well, you didn't even tell me what it is, but I certainly know what it the, is. Uh, the Undertaker? Well, we locked him in the casket. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I remember you lock him in, and here's what sold it. You guys, you held it down, and you took out a key, and you cranked it shut, mm -hmm. and then you, you to the camera, put it into your pocket and walked away. Mm -hmm. And I remember the announcer sold it so well, because I was convinced that that man was going to die in that casket. I, I was scared world, out of my mind. The whole world was convinced of that. We <laughs> drew some big money with that. We took, we took that match all around the world. Really? All around the world, several times we had body bag matches, casket matches with him, and yeah, and I had I had a history with him too. I had managed him when he's first started in the business in, in Texas, also. The Ultimate Warrior. Yeah, so uh, we had we had a history there, and uh, was he kind of a nut, or was he pretty normal when you were? Today's today, today's fans they call him a nut, but yeah. he he was always a, a good friend of mine. We always got along, never had a problem with him at all. Yeah. Still don't. Really, I'm just good. I don't know much about it. I just know that he goes on rants sometimes. I think he chooses the, the venues a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. Um, so the Paul Bear character, when you were creating it, how did you come up with the falsetto voice? I don't know. How did that how did that come about? It just ha it happened by accident. No kidding. I was doing one of the funeral parlor segments, and uh, I was trying to change it up a little bit, and I was thinking of like Boris Karloff or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Okay. And I tried it, and it worked, and we did it. And that was the end of it. Um, now, what about WCW? Did you ever think about going there? I mean, I it's a Southern promotion. Oh, you were there. What were? I worked there for a while, 1985, before then. I didn't know that. And I was working in Florida, Championship Wrestling from Florida. Uh, we had a we had a private plane that they flew us up in, and we'd go do TV on WTBS. Mm -hmm. uh, I was managing Rick Rude at, at the time, The Missing Link. And, uh, what a great name, The Missing Link. I, That's I, a never, I, I never worked with him full-time as such, you know, on a full-time schedule. But I was on, we'd done their, their television show and uh, this and that and the other. So we all know each other. Wow. Um, so you, and you even opened up your own wrestling promotion. Is that true? Were you yes. Doing? So how did that, what, what, was going, what happened with that? I got tired of it and closed it down because you couldn't get no no help. 
Really? Nobody wanted to help you or do it the way that you wanted it done. You know, I got tired of it. And my wife, that's when my wife first got diagnosed with cancer. Oh. And I just got tired. You know, I, I want, my wife was come, came first. And I was taking care of her and couldn't get any help. The help that I needed, because you have to have people that you can trust, you know. You're dealing with money and your equipment and all this and that and the other. Right. And, and uh, I got tired of it and said, that's it. Shut it, down, shut it down. So have you thought about doing it again? Have you thought of opening up? Yeah, and yeah. And, and I might one day. You never, you never know. Yeah. Do you have ideas for it or are you just all kind of? Oh, gosh. No. My, my cup runneth over after <laughs> all these years. I don't know. You've I don't even have to think about something that just popped right out. You've seen it all, man. Um, so how did you uh, get in with Championship Wrestling from Hollywood and, and Dave Marquez? I don't know. I've been coming up here about two years. Did they contact you? Did you uh, Were you looking at something to get into? or? I don't remember how in the hell it happened, to tell you the truth. Hmm. You caught me off guard with that question. Did I, <laughs> I don't know if I, I, if I ran into him somewhere at another event or if he emailed me and wanted to know if I wanted to come out for a show or what. I don't remember. But somehow you guys got involved and you've been... Uh, and I've been coming out here once a month for almost at, at least two years. No kidding. So how did you... Let's move into like modern wrestling because some of the stuff that's kind of going on now is really interesting to me. Um, you manage a guy named Sean Ricker, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, manage him here, yes. Yes. Now, what um, is TNA's doing this? I was really kind of skeptical about the change of format, but I think it's actually a great way for young talent to come in. They're doing a thing where they have gut check, where they have people come in from independent circuits to try out for contracts. And what's kind of been cool to watch the Championship Wrestling from Hollywood is to see five or six guys who have made it onto their show. Um, and when I was first watching, and, and Sean Ricker was part of a tag team called N uh, Natural Selection with a guy named Brian Cage. Right, I managed both of those. And mm -hmm. and they um, they split, and they both they were a pretty good tag team. They didn't have the personalities developed yet, and they went singles, and they kind of developed personalities. Sean Ricker is he's a, a kind of a five-tool player. I'm surprised he's never made it onto the show onto TNA. How come? Uh, how come that's never? Is it? Is Maybe he's going somewhere else. Is he going? Is, <laughs> is that right? <laughs> you didn't hear it here. Uh oh. Look at that. Look. Hmm. Something's going on there. But it, I'm just hoping people are noticing him because he's he's good. I, he's very very good. Yeah. If he wasn't, I wouldn't be with him. That's true. He's got the management team of the stars behind him. You know what so it takes to manage a world champion. So, so did you have anything to do with that? I know you have ties with TNA. Did you um, do you help with that at all? Do you? Uh, I mean, I can always give always give suggestions and, and stuff, but basically it's up to the to the talent. You know, when they get in the ring, it's I can't wrestle for them. <laughs> have you tried? I, I can I can put in a good word for them. Say, so do you need to take a look at this guy or, or listen to him talk or watch him wrestle or whatever? Yeah. But uh, so have you ever wrestled any guys where you were just it was hard to carry you had to carry them instead of them carrying you? Mm, any no. guys that were tough? Mm. Better than others? No, not really. I've always been really blessed to to be associated with the with the main event talent. Um, so I, n I never had to worry about anything like that. They could they were, they could always take care of themselves. So when it was kind of interesting, now that we're talking about your career, you kind of all you know the Undertaker, Kane, Mankind. You managed all of them, and they all kind of had a similar kind of theme going with the 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 wrestler type of wrestlers that they were Th was that just kind of luck that you kind of were able to jump from one to the other and kind of have success with everybody 
Yeah. Pure luck. Pure luck. <laughs> no, I don't mean to downplay your, your skill in any way, but sometimes it's better to be lucky than good, I guess, huh? Pure luck. Pure luck. Um... I How have many more pages you got there? I got. Well, I know you got to go. I got one. La let me let me ask you one last question, and then I'm gonna let you go. Uh, do you in fact have underwear older than me? Is that true? Probably not. Pro <laughs> <laughs> I always get everyone else. Gets if I do, I don't wear them. <laughs> everyone else gets the line. I always thought yeah, it was. Yeah, that's one of my lines. That's one of your lines. I, I, I use a lot. That's an old stable. To the, to the, to the young kid. <laughs> but uh, I very well I might. But it's there, where way back in the back of the drawer, in the bottom of the drawer, way in the back. That's that's good. You've got a big big drawer. Thing. I, I dare look. <laughs> Don't do that. Um, all right, I'm gonna thank you. I'm gonna let you get back to the matches. Well, it thank sounds you. like it's yes, uh, about I do, seven, I do eight. Have some work to do. Um, but you have taken out a lot of time. I can't thank you enough. And I hope that everyone has found this as interesting and as incredible as I have. So, Mr. Pringle, thank you so well, much for coming Please feel out. free to, to email me. Uh, check my website out, percypringle.com. There's an email address on there. I read and answer all my own email, and I'm very proud that, of that fact. And uh, if you want you know, drop me an email sometime. I'm on Twitter. My Twitter name is WWE Earn, U-R-N, Everse. Like universe, mm -hmm. it's WWE Earn, Everse. In fact, on my on my website, uh, there is a link to my Twitter account. Uh, so I'm on Twitter, and I used to have a Facebook fan page, but I, that got to be too much. I had to get no rid more. Of, huh? I had to get rid of that. It caused too much trouble. So so the website and Twitter, and I'm available by email. And uh, but you're very modern technology, is you're not scared of it. No. That's good. No. That's how you keep in touch with everybody. Well, thank you so much for having right. me. Thank you. I, I gotta go. I gotta go. Uh, Play wrestling. There's yeah. <laughs> several hundred people out there waiting to, to see old Percy Pringle. That's good. Well, I, I'm glad I got this backstage interview, and uh, thanks again for for uh, for sitting down with me. All right, it's my pleasure. All right, we'll have a good night. Fascinating Nouns is a Glencoe production and is hosted and produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Nouns introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and E. A. Barrientos with music and sound design written and performed by E. Go to fascinatingnouns.com as the hub for all things FN. You can listen to every episode in the past episode. You can check out past guests. You can even follow the show on social media. You'll find links to the show's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube pages all at the bottom of the Fascinating Nouns webpage. You can even sign up for the newsletter, which will come to your inbox once a week and tell you behind-the-scenes stuff, upcoming guests, and even tell you about other projects that I do. And if that interests you, DanielJGlenn.com is your destination for all the interesting podcasts and web series and, and all the different projects that I do, including my latest podcast, Fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies, where I sit down with Dr. Michael Denon, the nuclear physicist, uh, Ben Seepser, rocket scientist, Brittany Needham, microbiologist, and we make fictional technologies a reality. Websites, again, are Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, Gear-Based Technologies, www.fgbt.com, fascinatingnouns.com, danieljglenn.com, all of your needs will be taken care of. Thank you for listening. End of transmission.